You're listening to episode 25 of the Eat Well and Live Full podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Many of the things that I talk about and put out there into the interwebs have to do with female health. But I know that I have a few male followers and friends as well, but let's just put that out there. Today's episode is 150% for the ladies. I have an awesome guest today, Samantha Lodge of Be Well and Wonder, and we are going to be talking all about hormones and periods and PCOS. So grab your notepad. You're going to want to take notes on this one. And if you're driving or you're working out, make sure to make mental notes to go back and listen to this one after because trust me, Sam does not hold back on giving us all the tips and tricks to get more in sync and in flow with our cycle. Sam is a digital nomad and an online holistic nutritionist who helps women with PCOS and period problems balance their hormones and reverse their symptoms using food, exercise, and self-care. When she's not talking about holistic wellness and hormone hacks, you can find her playing around on Instagram stories and jet-setting to a new destination from Europe to Australia and Bali with her laptop in hand. Sounds like a girl after my own heart. All right, let's jump right into this podcast. I'm excited for this one. Let's go. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know you live that nomadic lifestyle, but you're currently in New York right now, right? I am. I am. I'm here for a couple months and then I'm heading back to Australia and then I'm on to Bali. (laughs) Awesome. I'm very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good life. So besides traveling, I know that's a huge interest of yours and I follow you on Instagram for all of that. Um, jealousness and seeing where you're going. <laughs> you work a lot with women in the nutrition and wellness space as well. So do you want me, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your personal story and what led you to nutrition and wellness and the type of women that you work with now? Absolutely. So I guess it all kind of started um, like most women when I got my period. So I should, I should preface this by saying I'm a hormonal health nutritionist. So to put it in plain speak, I'm essentially a period coach. I help women who have period problems like cramps or acne or PMS or PCOS, any of that kind of stuff, basically use food and uh, lifestyle, like self-care, exercise, stuff like that to kind of bring their symptoms back into balance and bring their hormones back into a happy balance as well. Um, So I had a pretty awful first period (laughs) to dive right in there. Um, I literally thought I was going to die from bleeding and none of the doctors could figure out what was wrong. It was just, you know, all these awful things were happening. And um, long story short, it it turned out that I had PCOS. Um, And at the time, there wasn't a lot of holistic information out there. And they kind of just stuck me on the pill at age 14. And that was that. Um, And then, you know, fast forward about a decade later, a little bit less. Um, I graduated college and I started my first job and I was like, you know what? I kind of just want to see 
you know, now that I'm like on my own, I'm like a full on adult. I just want to see what my body's like naturally. Like maybe it's really not as bad as I thought it was. Um, and so I just quit the pill cold Turkey. Um, and that was actually a really bad idea for me. Um, you know, and looking back now with all of the training that I have, I definitely should have done some preparation, um, building up, you know, my nutrient stores, doing some healing from all of the side effects from the hormonal birth control pill, like, you know, an interrupted microbiome and mineral deficiencies and all these things. Um, but my hormones just kind of went crazy. Um, they rebounded in a way that was just really hard to deal with. It was everything from like cystic acne that was like really deep and painful and embarrassing to really irregular periods. Um, even like I was sweating more than usual, which I now know is a part of an androgen excess, which is these quote unquote male hormones that we all have, but those of us with PCOS have too many of them. Um, and so things just got really crazy. And I went to see another endocrinologist and you know, he was like, you have PCOS. He's like, yeah, thank you. I knew that. Um, but what can I do about it if I don't want to go back on the pill? And he literally laughed in my face and he goes, I think I'd asked him, okay, how do I fix this? And he goes, there is no fixing this. You can just go back on the pill. And I was so angry. I was so mad that like this healthcare provider had just completely negated all of my desires and all of my treatment wishes and just basically shut me down. And so I just kind of stormed out of there and I was determined to do my own research. And here I am many years later. Um, and I basically figured out, you know, what are the holistic ways that I can manage this without having to go back on hormonal birth control and completely shut down my cycle and mess with my hormones. Um, and that that's kind of what brought me into nutritional therapy school and inspired me to, after, after seeing just how healing and amazing the power of food was as medicine for myself. Um, I really wanted to turn that around and help other women who are struggling with these very common period problems that we, we just sort of pretend they're normal because they're so common and because women aren't given many more options than that. Um, so that's what got me into nutrition and, and becoming a holistic nutritionist and essentially a period health coach. So do you focus primarily with women who are um, struggling with PCOS and the symptoms that go along with that? Yeah, I would say that. So that's like my flagship program right now is helping women who have PCOS to basically understand like their different drivers, whether it's inflammation or, you know, insulin and blood sugar or adrenals and stress and stuff like that, basically understand how to manage their condition for life. Um, and either walk back or reduce or eliminate a lot of these symptoms that they're experiencing, like irregular cycles, like, um, you know, acne and uh, the weight gain and the fatigue and the bloat, all these things. Um, that's primarily, the, that's the large majority of who I work with. But I also work with women who have like, you know, really prolonged heavy periods that are really unhappy or um, really debilitating cramps and any or women who just want to learn how to track their cycle naturally it, it kind of runs the the whole span of the period health spectrum so I know for me um, through my acne story coming off the pill was a big push for me as well yeah. and trying to find the same kind of thing as you trying to find this way to manage these symptoms and get to the root cause of what was actually going on. And, you know, I don't have PCOS, but I definitely had horrible periods. I had some of the symptoms that you mentioned. And so like you said, it's, we're going to talk a little bit more about PCOS today, but in general, if you're having horrible periods or you're, you know, you're just being told that, oh, that's normal, that's fine. And you feel <laughs> like it's not, 
yeah people out there who can help you start to unpack why that is that you know you have cramps or breast tenderness or irregular periods or heavy periods or any of that type of stuff right yeah yeah and i think the the big thing and the big pattern that i see among a lot of women is to really trust that instinct i think that's the first thing that that pops up for women is sort of this little voice that's like but what if like what if it's this is not normal like what if it could be better and that's the first step that I see. And that's when so many women find me. And it's just like this explosive, hugely pivotal point in their life. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. So let's, talk, let's break down what PCOS actually is. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about it? And you mentioned some of the symptoms, but more specifically, how do you know if you have PCOS? That's a great question. So PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, is actually a bit of a misnomer because it's really not the cysts on your ovaries that are the main issue here. It's the symptoms that arise from these underlying hormonal imbalances. So PCOS is, you know, I'll backtrack for a second here. You can even have ovaries, or sorry, you can have cysts on your ovaries and not have PCOS. That's also entirely possible. So um, PCOS is pretty much a collection of symptoms characterized by these high you know, quote unquote, androgen male hormones. Um, the reason we call androgen male hormones is because they're higher in men, but we all have them and we all need them. Um, but with PCOS, women who have PCOS, which accounts for about one in 10 women of reproductive age, um, those numbers are a little too high um, and it can be driven by a couple different things. So uh, the number one way, I guess we should talk about diagnosis, right? Like, how do you know if you have it, like your question? Um, so in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, you have to have at least two of these three criteria, which are sort of the most widely agreed upon. And that's either irregular cycles or um, high androgens as shown on a blood test or through symptoms, as well as um, you know an ultrasound showing cysts on your ovaries. So if you have any two of those three and you can exclude a diagnosis like you know hypothyroidism or something like that, then your doctor will say, okay, you have PCOS. And I've actually had clients come to me whose doctors refused to diagnose them with PCOS because they, quote, weren't big enough. Because oftentimes, you know, about 80% of women with PCOS struggle with a higher body fat percentage. And so there's this um, misconception that you can't be of like a slimmer body type and have PCOS when in fact it affects, it can affect anybody of any body size. That was actually going to be my next question. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see either in people being misdiagnosed one way or another or mm -hmm. in or in treatment suggestions for PCOS? We touched on a little bit, but the biggest misconceptions that you see, because as you said, it can kind of be a, a wide range of women. Yeah, I think the number one that I see most often is this um, this idea that the pill is the only way to treat PCOS. Um, and I think that sort of came about because while well-intended, that's kind of the, the number one thing that doctors are taught in medical school. And when, you know, the average woman gets a FaceTime of about 15 minutes per year with her doctor, that's not a lot of time to talk through the options. Um, and basically what the hormonal birth control pill will do is um, essentially chemically suppress your cycle so that you're not ovulating and it's keeping your hormone levels artificially low. Um, there's a couple sort of drawbacks to that that I don't think get discussed enough. Um, but when it comes to PCOS, the big issue here is that the underlying drivers such as insulin resistance 
or um, these high androgen hormones, they can still continue under the surface even while you're on the birth control pill. And that can set you up for, you know, additional diagnoses like diabetes or heart disease or all these other things that you're at higher risk for. Um, and actually, most of the professional associations that deal with PCOS now recommend diet and lifestyle as the first line of treatment and um, medication sort of as a second um, support. And you also see that not only with the pill, but with things like metformin and spironolactone for acne. Um, often that's sort of the easiest answer to give somebody is like, here, this pill will seemingly fix all your symptoms, but they can also be really harsh. Like I see a lot of women come to me who are like, I just couldn't tolerate metformin. It, it just like really messed with my stomach and all these kinds of things. And, and they just weren't even given the information that there are other options out there. So I think that's probably the, the biggest one that I'd like to debunk. If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, maybe I have PCOS, maybe I should go to my doctor. What are the specific symptoms that, um, that they might have that would lead them to believe that and actually yeah. go in and talk to their doctor? Yeah. So uh, I guess the primary ones are really these uh, irregular cycles. Um, so, you know, going a really long time without a period or having random breakthroughs. So, you know, like maybe like I had somebody tell me like, oh, I'm getting a period every two weeks. And I was like, well, it's not actually, you're not thankfully not getting a period every two weeks, but you are bleeding every two weeks. And that's really unpleasant. And then, you know, I have other people who are like, I haven't had a period in a year. Um, so ideally what you want to see is your body following this, like, you know, 28 days is the average, but like in the like mid twenties to early, like low 30 days um, kind of cycle, um, anything less than about 11 cycles per year is of concern. Um, you know, you'll often see that with, um, you know, some people might have pain around their ovaries because these cysts are getting really large. Um, you'll also see, you know, things like uh, the facial hair or um, hair falling out from your scalp, which is a really nice combo. Um, you know, the deep cystic acne you might have trouble with like body odor, um, stuff like that. Those are, those are very, very classic signs of PCOS. And then quite commonly, you'll also see really rapid weight gain or really stubborn weight gain that isn't really coming off no matter what you're doing. Um, and that's, that's pretty commonly linked with PCOS as well. So it's really like a constellation of symptoms. The more you have, the more it's a, it's a better idea to go talk to your doctor about getting evaluated. So you mentioned the acne and I deal with this in my practice and the women that I work with yeah. a lot. And so can you explain a little bit about the connection between PCOS and acne and it, it more so seems like it's that deep cystic hormonal mm -hmm. chronic acne. So do you want to break that down for us a little bit? Yeah. Well, so as you know, there are, of course, different types of acne. But the thing you're right, the one you'll see most commonly is that kind of the hormonal acne along the the, the hormonal acne along the, the jawline and the chin, um, you know, sometimes up to the cheeks. Um, that's primarily because uh, androgens tend to drive this this oil production. Um, and then you pair that with women who have PCOS have been shown to have a higher baseline level of inflammation. And so you have, you know, more oil production, more clogged pores paired with this, um, your body's tendency towards being inflamed. And you get this, this very common cystic acne, this really red, angry, inflamed kind of acne. So it's primarily hormonally driven, but a little bit these underlying inflammatory markers. Yeah. And that's what I see over and over and over again in my practice. And 
it's it's i should point out that if you ha- if you're suffering with hormonal acne and that deep cystic acne it doesn't necessarily mean that you have pcos i think that's another right. common misconception that is yeah. <laughs> now too that one directly correlates with the other but if you're having a bunch of these other symptoms as sam said it might be a good idea just to go get your your hormone levels checked talk to your doctor start a conversation or at least reach out to a a holistic practitioner so that they can give you a little bit more guidance on that. Absolutely. So what can we do nutrition wise to start to balance what is happening in our bodies and decrease some of these symptoms we're having if we are diagnosed with PCOS? What's your starting point for your clients? That's a great question. So um, I'd say the overwhelming majority, like upwards of 75 to 80% of women who suffer from PCOS are also dealing with some blood sugar issues. Um, so essentially there's a mechanism in our bodies where when our insulin climbs too high or our bodies sort of lose that sensitivity to insulin, which is that sugar storage hormone, um, a couple things happen. Um, but the big one that we're concerned about here is that high insulin triggers our ovaries to produce more of those male hormones and fewer of estrogen and progesterone sort of female hormones, which make these symptoms worse. So the number one step here is focusing on balancing blood sugar. Um, We want to make sure that we nip any potential insulin resistance diagnosis in the bud so that it doesn't progress towards diabetes. Um, We want to be telling your body, you know, essentially through food that things are stable, they're safe, you know, that's not stressful, we're not in starvation. Um, You know, when our blood sugar drops too low, that's when cortisol comes out, our stress hormone, and that has a whole hormonal impact of of its own. Um, And also, you know, not pinging our blood sugar too high with too many sugars and carbs and things like that at one time. And then having this huge flood of insulin in response, which then creates that higher androgen, you know, rebound effect. So, um, you know, making sure that you're eating regularly, that you're eating really wholesome foods with a focus on more fat and protein and fiber. Um, And then, you know, trying to get whatever carbohydrates you do have in your diet from more complex, wholesome sources like beans or legumes or, um, you know, something like even sweet potatoes, um, which is really steering clear of those refined sugars, those simple carbs, um, things like that. And that's not to say that carbs are evil by any means. Like you should not be cutting carbs out of your diet completely. You still very much need them for a lot of really important functions. Um, But just being really smart about making sure that you're not spiking your blood sugar throughout the day. Um, and that can, that, that single step alone can have enormous impacts. What's your thoughts on seed cycling? That's another big one that has been thrown out there time and time again. Can you break down what seed cycling is for us? And then just tell me your thoughts and if you use it in your practice with your clients. Yeah. So I, I'm sort of of two minds of seed cycling. Um, so seed cycling is essentially where, um, I guess we should, backtrack even one more step. Um, In your cycle, you go through four distinct phases. So there's your menstrual phase, which is day one of your period. That's day one of your cycle. And it lasts until you're finished bleeding. And then you have your follicular phase right after that, which is that phase leading up to ovulation after your period while your body is um, preparing an egg for release. Then you have the ovulatory phase, which is when the egg is being released. Um, And then as the egg dies, you move into your luteal phase, which is that last phase leading up to your period. This is usually when people talk about PMS um, or feeling like moody and stuff like that if things are not in balance. Um, So with seed cycling, you can divide those four four different um, phases into two big halves. 
And so in the first half, you eat um, two distinct seeds. Um, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. I think it's uh, pumpkin and sesame. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. And yeah. then in the second phase, in your luteal phase, um, that's when you're going to be eating flax and, oh my gosh, I'm completely spacing on the second one. I'll put a link in the, in the yeah. description for you guys too, but I agree. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. I, them. <laughs> I know it's cause yeah, well, I already have dyslexia as it is. So it's always fun to keep those straight. But, um, so seed cycling is, um, has been sort of touted as this cure all Here's where I stand on it. So unfortunately there hasn't been enough research done on it because there's a whole bias in medical research about women of reproductive age. Um, and that's something that we could get it on another podcast topic, I'm sure. But um, the benefits of having those four seeds in your diet regularly are really high because especially they're filled with a lot of really important anti-inflammatory fats. They have a lot of really important minerals like pumpkin seed has a lot of zinc, which is great for acne, great for PCOS, great for progesterone production. Um, I, there are a couple people now who are sort of saying like, it doesn't so ma it doesn't matter so much, you know, cycling them as just having them in your diet in the first place. Um, but when it comes to cycling things, I do think that um, cycle syncing is definitely something to look into, which is when you sort of, again, using those four phases, you sort of shift your diet and your exercise and all these different things as you shift through these four phases. So, you know, like in my luteal phase, I'll be eating, like I'll focus my meat protein on beef because that has a good amount of iron, good, around, good amount of minerals. Um, and that's really going to prepare my body for losing a lot of blood, which is coming up. And that's a really intense process versus, you know, in my ovulatory phase, I want to be eating more light, fresh, crunchy vegetables that have a lot of fiber that will help me to um, detox all these excess hormones as they peak in the middle of my cycle. So essentially following your hormonal patterns, um, you can change up your food sort of each, each week, so to speak. Um, and I have actually found that a lot of women who especially are struggling to get their cycle regular or get their cycle back um, actually see a lot of benefit on a cycle sinking diet because it also does a really good job of getting a diverse range of nutrients in there if nothing else. So I think when you combine those seeds with that kind of diverse diet, it's a really, really, really great recipe for success. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. The more variety that you can get in your diet, the better, right? You're just for sure. giving your body more tools to naturally help it. And your body knows what to do with that. I just looked up um, the seeds, like cycling seeds for us. And it's the first uh, days, one to 14. So the first part of your cycle is ground flax and pumpkin seeds. Yep. And then the second half of your cycle is sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. And yes. <laughs> I'm totally in the same boat as you. I think there has to be a lot more research done on, on the benefits of that. But at the same time, it's not going to hurt adding right. into your diet. So if it's something right. that you like, and something that you enjoy, I say go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, is it going to be like the secret cure to all of your problems? No, nothing ever is. There's no one thing, but having, having it as part of a, you know, more diverse um, protocol that takes you as the individual into account and where your sort of struggle points are. That's when I think it's really powerful. A hundred percent. And you mentioned cycle syncing as well. And I love that um, concept of eating foods that are going to be more nourishing at different 
stages and different times of your cycle. I think that's also goes hand in hand with being able to track your cycle and see what's mm -hmm. actually going on. So do you have a favorite app or a system or a way that you get people to actually track their period, track <laughs> their symptoms throughout the month? What do you suggest for people? Yes, it is super cheap and it's very easy to do. Um, so most of these apps that we track on, um, tend to use the calendar method, which is great if you follow a 28 day cycle exactly. Um, but most of us don't actually. And so what I recommend for my clients is to buy a basal thermometer. So that basically is just a thermometer that reads out to the hundredth. Um, so, you know, like my temperature would be like 98.72. Um, and then all you have to do every morning when you wake up, hopefully around the same time, you just have your thermometer on your nightstand, you stick it under your tongue for like a minute, it'll beep, it'll give you a number, and then you track that in an app. I personally really love the Kindara app, K-I-N-D-A-R-A, -A, um, because that one, you can track not only your temperature, but it also charts it for you, which is really helpful, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, you can also chart your um, cervical fluids, which is basically like when you go to the bathroom and you wipe um, you know, whatever's left over on that toilet paper, whether it's kind of that like sticky residue or not, that can tell you whether you're fertile um, and tell you where you are in your cycle. So that plus the symptom tracking and, you know, any like if you have your period, you can track like how heavy it is and, you know, if you're experiencing bloating or any of that stuff. Um, but tracking your basal body temperature is really, really helpful because your, what you'll see is your temperatures will stay sort of on the lower end in the first half of your cycle. And then after you've ovulated, they'll jump a couple points. And that tells you, okay, I've ovulated. This is my fertile window. I can start to see a pattern because, um, well, your temperature jumps because we only produce significant amounts of progesterone when we've ovulated because it's produced from basically what's left over from the egg. Um, and that that hormone progesterone is actually a warming hormone. So for the last half of our cycle, that brings our temperature up and keeps it high while there's progesterone circulating in our bodies. And then what's also really nice is if you're tracking your, your basal body temperature, you'll see a sudden drop and you'll know to expect your period. So like for me, it drops and then two days later I get mine. So I'm never like shocked. I'm never like out on vacation and like wearing white shorts or anything like that. Like it gives you so much more information and control and just body literacy. It's like the easiest thing you can do. It's for whatever reason, like it got this bad rap in like the eighties or nineties as this sort of like, you know, either like very conservative people would use it as birth control or it was for like for hippies or whatever, but it's called the fertility awareness method. And it basically just means understanding your own body signs. So you know where you are in your cycle and how that's going to impact you. And it's so unbelievably empowering. I a hundred percent agree. I think that connection that you can make to your body and to your feminine power is amazing. And it's been way too long that it's been poo pooed and looked down upon right to a, not be on the birth control pill. Like, are you trying to get pregnant? Or are you a hippie? That was kind of like the only options if you're not on absolutely contraceptive, <laughs> right? Yeah. But also to be able to track and, you know, see if you're in sync with other people around you, see if, um, you know, if any of these symptoms that you're having, wow, suddenly they make sense when you start to turn inward and then 
all of a sudden you can you can figure out where to go from there because you have so much information about your body and you're so connected to your body absolutely and like you know it's sort of almost like this myth that you know, I remember so many of us in school have been taught that we're fertile every single day of our cycle and to be terrified of getting pregnant if we didn't want that every single day. Like, you can get pregnant on your period. And like, you can get pregnant while you're bleeding if it's not your true period. But you, when you ovulate, that egg only lives for 12 to 48 hours. And when you pair that with, um, you know, sperm can survive in your body for up to five days, that makes your fertile window only about seven days of your whole cycle. And if you know exactly when that is, you don't have to be afraid of your own body or the potential side effects from it. But more than contraception, I like even if you don't want to use it for contraception, I think it's an amazingly empowering tool. And you're so right. It's that feminine power. I mean, so much of our world now is set up in support of men's hormonal cycles, which only last 24 hours and their testosterone peaks in the morning. So you see all these people who are like, yeah, like, I'm getting these fucking mornings and I'm being super productive and like the Tim Ferriss's of the world. That's, that's great. That works for you. But I know that like when I'm leading up to my period, I need more sleep. Like that's a biological fact for me. And you need more calories leading up to your period. Like there's just, there's so many ways that our needs change and shift, you know, even our brains, like we're more optimized to um, synthesize how we feel and communicate that with words during our ovulatory cycle. And then during our, Menstrual, menstrual phase, we're more optimized for evaluating. Like there are all these hormonal superpowers that we just haven't tapped into because we don't know they're there because nobody took the time to tell us. A hundred percent. Last year, I really started to tap into cycle syncing in terms of how I was setting up my business and my energy yes. and my workouts. <laughs> and it was life-changing. And I know there's a couple books out there on this as well, but you kind of just touched on it, but do you want to go through the four phases again and just tell us just briefly, you know, what kind of exercise or what our energy is going to be like, or like you said, we're going to need more calories, just any little tips that you can tell us about those four phases and what to expect. Cause I know <laughs> people are going to get a journal now. They're going to start charting and, and you'll start to make, we absolutely these, should, yeah. yeah, you'll start to make these, um, discoveries like, Oh, that makes so much sense. So, right. Like I'm, I'm not crazy for having these cravings. It's because my body like thinks that I have to prepare for this massive thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, actually, this is going to be the subject of my new um, course that I'm putting together at the moment, which is it's called harness your hormones. And it's essentially just teaching women like the basics of all of this stuff, like your different cycle phases and what they mean, what that means for you in practice, whether it's work or sex or you know exercise whatever it is personal growth um just sort of understanding those so again you start with your menstrual phase the first day of your period bleed is the first day of your cycle and during this time like you have to you have to kind of take a step back and think about this biologically right like this is a very intense process you are losing blood most other mammals actually reabsorb this lining we're still not quite sure why human women don't do that um but you know, this is a time to really take a step back. You're going to probably feel more introverted, less social. Um, you're going to really want to be um, implementing more self-care. Um, you know, you're looking for more like nourishing foods, like really hearty things like soups and stews. It's just basically like, think of it like winter, right? Like it's your time to cocoon, it's your time to hibernate, like be that mama bear for yourself. 
And then if you do, if you do take care of yourself and you slow down in this phase, you have more energy in these like higher impact phases. So as your bleeding stops, you lead into the follicular phase. And it's called the follicular phase because this is when your body is developing this ovarian follicle that's going to contain, you know, one or two eggs that it's, that's what you're ovulating. Um, so as this is happening, you know, in your menstrual phase, all of your hormones drop to their lowest point the day you bleed. And then they start to climb back up to a peak at ovulation. So during this follicular phase, you feel this kind of like revving up. Like you'll notice you're more extroverted, you're starting to feel like more social, like a little bit more social butterfly, a little more sparkly, a little more, you know, like you want to go grab drinks with people or you want to try a new workout class. Like you're just, you're kind of like, you're just a little more buzzy, right? Like a little more excited about life because, you know, again, biologically, it makes sense that your body's going to want to get you out there and like getting you social because if it wants you to procreate, that's how you're going to do it, right? Like not <laughs> yeah. if you're stuck at home. Yeah. Um, so then you, you hit your ovulatory phase and this is a shorter one, right? Like it's only about 12 to 20, 12 to 48 hours. Um, and this is when the egg sort of bursts forth from that follicle. Um, and you're, you're still kind of up, you're still really buzzy. Um, and once you've ovulated the, I really hate this word sac, but it is, it's called the corpus luteum. Um, that sac sticks behind and it becomes a temporary endocrine gland, which is so cool, which basically just means that it turns into what's called the corpus luteum, and that's what produces all of this progesterone. And progesterone, which is your, quote, progestation hormone, is what will keep that lining in place in the potentiality of, you know, an implanted embryo. Um, but what that also does is as uh, that progesterone rises, leading out of your ovulatory phase and into that luteal phase, that last one before your period, um, which can last, you know, a minimum of about 11 days is healthy. Um, and then it can go up to, you know, maybe 16, it depends. Um, but that progesterone is going to make you, it's a, it's sort of like a sedative hormone in a way. It's like very chill. That's when you're kind of starting to slow down again. Like you might be starting to feel more tired, maybe like a little more bloated if things aren't balanced. Um, you're, you know, gaining more water. If you, if you're experiencing a hormonal imbalance, you'll probably feel like more tender breasts, you'll have more mood swings. This is when acne will appear. Um, and that's why this luteal phase, which is probably the one that most of us dread the most, <laughs> it's actually a really good report card for your overall health because if things are in balance, then you're not gonna be feeling super dragged down. You're not gonna be super exhausted. You'll feel that sort of slowing, but you're not gonna be like super fatigued. You're not gonna have that acne, maybe one or two pimples. Um, you know, things are just a little bit more balanced. You're not feeling those sore boobs. You're not like irritable. I had a, I had a client that I just finished up with and she said that her mom literally said that coaching made her a nicer person because she used to have these like awful mood swings. So those are not normal, but they're a really helpful, you know, warning sign for us. And then everything starts over again at the end of your luteal phase when all of your hormones drop. And that's when what triggers your bleed. And then that's your another, that's your second period. I love breaking it down and, and kind of charting or at least giving yourself some notes in your calendar. So once you mm -hmm. start to track and you kind of see, okay, do I have a 28 day cycle? Does it range between 28 and 30? You know, you track for up to six months, you kind of see, start to see a pattern. You can start to schedule yeah. things in like, Oh, I know that's probably not the best time for a girl's night because I'm going to want to cancel or, oh, I should plan something this weekend because I'm going to feel more energetic, more bubbly, all that kind of stuff. And you can start to take the, 
the power back, right? We sometimes feel so powerless or are made to feel so powerless um, as younger women about our periods, like we have no control over it and all that. But if you work with that cycle, all of a sudden you can harness your inner superpowers and really be productive and nourish your body for whatever phase you're in, right? Exactly. And it's really about you know, just throwing out this myth that like your period puts you at a disadvantage. Is it annoying to bleed for up to like seven days at a time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are definitely things you can do to make it a little easier on yourself, but that's an annoying thing. Aside from that, you're like having a period and having a hormonal cycle like we do as women, like being called hormonal has like been such an insult in the past. And it's, you know, like, oh, she's not fit to lead because she's like moody or she has PMS or like, it's all of these like really just BS narratives that it makes you weaker when in fact, like your brain volume, like is so much larger in the second half of your cycle. Like that's a superpower, right? Like you have more computing capacity. That's so crazy. And just the one thing I wanted to say about tracking is, um, you know, you can get into more detail about like what a healthy range looks like and what you should be looking for in each phase. But the, the, the major underlying thing here is, once you start tracking, it's really important to know what's normal for you because everybody is different. Like there's a certain you know range of parameters to look within, like if you're bleeding for like three months straight, no, that's not healthy. We don't want you doing that, that's not normal. But you know, if you're bleeding, if you have a cycle every like 32 days, you don't have to freak out because it's not 28, that's just an average. The, the question is understanding what's normal for you and then just taking note of any deviations from that because that's your body telling you, hey, there's something up and you need to take a closer look. Yeah, definitely. So where can everybody find you if they have more questions or to get uh, their hands on some of the resources that you have out there for all the stuff we talked about today? Yeah, so um, my Instagram handle is bewellandwander, W-A-N-D-E-R. And that's just like where I share life as a digital nomad and as an entrepreneur building this sort of period coaching business and, you know, all these tips and tricks about PCOS, cycle syncing, understanding your body, sort of aligning with that feminine power. Um, that's, so that's my Instagram. And then, um, you know, if you ever, I have a website as well on wander.com, but if you ever want to talk to me, my DMs are always blowing up. This is like probably not a great thing for my productivity, but that's like one thing my community knows is that I'm always open for a good chat. I'm always happy to help. Um, you know, I especially know that period problems are a very intimate thing. Um, and you don't exactly want to be like blasting it all over Instagram. So, um, I just want to extend a welcome to anybody listening that if you have any questions or feel like you need some support, I'm always happy to help. You can just drop me a DM over on Instagram or, um, an email at Samantha at bewellandwander.com. And I'll make sure those are all linked down in the description of this podcast as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And um, yeah, thanks for, for sharing all of your period knowledge with us. Please. It's always a pleasure. I'm so happy to be on. Thanks, Sam. I love that we got to highlight in this episode how powerful it is to tap into your own body's wisdom. Those four phases that we talked about and tracking your cycle, these are tools that you could be using to completely change the game for your health and your wellness, not to mention your nutrition and your workouts and planning your schedule even. 
I highly suggest you check out Sam on Instagram and I'm going to be talking a lot more about syncing your cycle and tracking your cycle this season on the podcast. I know there was a little bit of background noise in there. That's what you get when you when you have, try to talk to a digital nomad, right? And she's in New York City right now, especially. So thanks for hanging in there. It was definitely worth it because the information that Sam brought to this podcast was just awesome. So thank you again, Sam, for being on the podcast. And I will catch you guys in the next episode next Wednesday.